I think that's such an invitation for us to remember that like everyone experiences yeah. it because yeah. I think sometimes with people like like so strong, like such a presence, you think like, oh, they don't feel that too. Um, it, we like kind of make up what we think shame looks like or anxiety looks like or depression looks like or any of those things. And it's like, it, we can't escape life, we're human. And so yeah. I think that's a good invitation for us. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. All right, guys, I know that I almost always say we've got a really special episode for you, but today we really do. I got to sit down with three of my absolute favorite humans and team members to talk about a topic that absolutely everyone experiences, but very few of us have an understanding of, and the tools to overcome and move through. And that topic is shame. So pulling in three of your co-hosts, myself, Hannah Warren, and Lindsay Nobles, we tapped on our other team member and member of the digital and marketing leadership team, Candy Shelton, to talk all about shame. The three of us shared a little bit of our own experiences, some of the misconceptions that we've personally experienced and seen, and then we get to hear from a few of our other team members who are willing to share what shame feels like for them, what it looks like, how it shows up in their lives, and a little bit of encouragement for you if you're walking in shame today. So all of this conversation uh, is centered around the fact that we are releasing a brand new course called The Shame Reframe, and it is so powerful. It is facilitated by Carlos Martinez, which is one of the therapists on our staff here, and he is a brilliant clinician, but also a really incredible human. So if you've done a program at Onsite, you've probably already fallen in love with Carlos and his laugh, but if not, I know that you will after walking through this class. So without further ado, let's hop into this conversation. Grateful to work with so many incredible humans who were willing to share their story on this week's podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm so excited (laughs) to get to sit down with three of my favorite people. So we basically have gathered the marketing and digital leadership team to chat today about a topic that feels a little bit squirmy, shame. Uh, So thank you all for joining me. Mm -hmm. And maybe just to kick off, can we do a little bit of an emotional and body check of like, hey, how are you feeling as we approach talking about this topic of shame. Hannah, would you give us the gift of going second? Yeah. For me, I feel a little awkward. I think shame is an uncomfortable topic for a lot of us. And I think, yeah, just feeling all squirmy. My hands are a little sweaty Mm -hmm. and it's uncomfortable. I feel my body like tightening up. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm excited to talk about it, I want us to normalize talking about it because I think Mm -hmm. that's really important. And Obviously, we want to be good advocates of that here at OnSite, but even someone that's in this type of work all the time, still pretty weird, pretty awkward. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Similar feelings. I can't really add a lot to that. Just that. <laughs> I know what I want to talk about, and I know already like that I'm uncomfortable with wanting to talk about that. Yes. And so, yeah, I feel a little nervous. Yeah, um, I am feeling a little closed off. Okay. I... Yesterday, we had a prep conversation. I felt pretty open and was like, this is going to be such an easy conversation. And then I just woke up today and my posture's a little different. Mm-hmm. And then 
I like forced myself open. We did a run through and then we realized it wasn't taping. Yeah. So now I'm like locked <laughs> shut. <laughs> You're locked <laughs> shut down. I'm sure I'll slowly Perfect. open back up. But uh, yeah, mm. it's sort of feeling a little self-protective. Mm. I definitely relate to all of those feelings. Um, I think even coming into this moment with the technical difficulties we had, I think mm. it's butting right up against my shame of like, I'm not prepared. I don't have it all together. I haven't, mm. you know, gone all around to the possible problems and, or even shame about like how I respond and like erratically. So I think, yeah, I'm excited to be chatting with you. I think it's funny to have a real life example right here feeling it. And I also resonate with Candy of like, I think I know what I want to share, but I'm nervous about wanting to share that. Mm. And a lot of my journey has been kind of waiting between disclosure and vulnerability. And so knowing mm-hmm. what's the right information to share with the right people at the right time and the right amount. So mm-hmm. let's just, I really appreciate you guys digging in with me. I think it's kind of awkward to talk about shame sometimes because we don't want to shame other people too. Yes. I think sometimes I feel that way yeah. where it's like, oh, this circumstance or this conversation mm-hmm. made me feel shame. And and that's a me thing. It's in how I'm internalizing things. But yeah. sometimes people can bring things on that make us feel bad too. Yeah. Um, and so I think sometimes when you're like, when you want to like talk through a process about a moment or an experience where you experience shame, I think I feel like, like it's a weird cycle where you're like, I don't want to make somebody else feel <laughs> responsible because it's, it's how I'm internalizing things and the narratives I tell myself. Uh, but it's a weird balance. Mm. And then how do we separate those two things in situations? Like as we're going back to rewrite narratives or rewrite stories or kind of re-examine things that we've experienced, I think I have trouble like, okay, can they bear some of this responsibility? Like they said this thing or I had this experience and I felt shame. Is that all on me? Is it the situation? How do I let like what they did matter and like say it's okay that it affected me negatively without putting blame on them Mm -hmm. too? Yeah. I think something we often, I've heard some of our therapists here say is it's not about shame or blame. It's about naming and claiming it. Um, and so finding, even in that situation, like, okay, I can name and claim that someone's actions were unkind or had this effect on me because of historic yeah. messaging or whatever in the relationship, but I'm not blaming them for that too. Yeah. And on the flip side, yeah. that I've for sure caused oh, I've done it for to sure. that too. And mm-hmm. so how saying like, how can we own our actions mm-hmm. instead of just how can we say I made a mistake instead of internalizing it into the I am a mistake piece? Mm-hmm. My codependency kicks in strong when we talk about shame. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's interesting even like you disclosing your shame around the technology difficulties. I mean, I think for so many of us, shame is so internalized and yeah. we're having this like whole experience with ourselves that other people are unaware of. Right. Yeah. Like, I knew that you were trying to solve the problems with the technology, but I didn't know you had that whole battle happening inside Mm -hmm, yourself, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, like, by my bringing up again how that affected me, it was about me, not about you. Right, exactly, yeah. It just is such an interesting thing that so much of it happens under the surface. Mm -hmm. And part of the gift of having some language and emotional intelligence to be able to like name it Mm -hmm. is it brings other people into it so that they can handle you more gently, you know, and, and not do things that are activating Mm. or or reinforcing. Totally. I think as we've kind of been prepping for this conversation, we thought about just, I think we talk a lot about shame. I think it's become in the zeitgeist. A lot of the Instagram accounts I follow, I mean, so many people follow Brene Brown and so much of her work has been around shame. And even the way that she discovered shame was not, she didn't seek out to 
research shame, she she sought out to like figure out connection mm. and understanding that shame is the thing that keeps us from getting connected. And so regardless, no matter how much information is out there, no matter the fact that I can't turn left or right without seeing something about it, I still don't 100% understand shame and its impact on my life and how it shows up. And I think I carry a lot of misconceptions. And so we thought that might be an interesting place to start of like, hey, if you carry misconceptions around shame, like let us go first and say, here's some of the things that we struggle with from having misconceptions. So what are some of the misconceptions that you guys maybe have had in the past in your story of work or worked through around shame? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think even you talking about Brene, how she's sought out to seek connection and then kind of stumbled into research around shame, I think is a huge misconception that I carry is that shame is just something that I have to deal with or I have to fix and it's only affecting me. Like if I'm dealing with this, it's only going to hurt me if I don't deal with it. Mm -hmm. And that's my burden to bury because I did something wrong. So of course it's going to affect me or whatever. Yeah. But I think when we, we're all in relationship with people, um, whether our families or coworkers or children or partners, whoever we inhabit around, um, our internalized shame doesn't just stop with me. It's going to affect the people. It's going to come out sideways at work. It's going to come out at my partner. It's going to come out in different ways. And I think that's interesting that she went out to seek connection because shame really does stop us from connecting with ourselves and with other people. Yeah, I think we kind of carry it this, it's an individualized experience. And I think it's kind of similar to grief in that it's a universal experience that we individually experience and feel. Like no two shames look the exact same. Mm -hmm. Right. No experience of that is, but But no one goes without it. shame, yeah. Yeah. Lindsay, you had some interesting thoughts around this, and I'm excited to to hear how shame has shown up for you. And um, I think, yes, yeah, so for me growing up, my experience with shame was so tied to my religious upbringing. Mm -hmm. Like I grew up in a um, Christian upbringing and so much of shame was just honestly thought it was kind of synonymous with sin or mm -hmm. so connected to sin mm -hmm. that it was like, oh, I'd act badly. And then I had to sort of internalize my acting badly. Yeah. And so I think as I've grown and as my spirituality has grown and mm -hmm. my view of God has grown, my higher power, that's really been a gift to understand sort of my relationship with shame differently. And I think that now I can kind of separate my behavior yeah. from like taking on the feeling of shame mm. And I don't have to, I realize even my agency over shame, you know, mm. like I have some control over how I live with mm -hmm. decisions I've made, mistakes I've made, things like that. And so that I can like begin to separate myself from my behavior mm. in a healthy way yeah. and realize that the shame is actually what creates the disconnection, bringing mm. it back to the Brene stuff with my higher power. And so that my higher power loves me unconditionally of mm -hmm. my behavior. Yeah. And that the shame is sort of the thing that I have to overcome to rebuild the connection. Mm. And so for me, like, that was such a huge dramatic shift both in my faith journey mm -hmm. but also in my emotional health journey. Yeah. Because it really helped reroute me in the truth that, like, I'm lovable and worthy Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make mistakes and mess up and be a mess sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. those two things can, like, coexist. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I think that I've been really grateful that I've kind of had the opportunity to reexamine that Mm -hmm. um, because it's really shifted how I live with shame. I really appreciate you sharing your experience with shame in that context because I relate to so much of it. I think the internalized sense of it, like growing up in a very similar Christian uh, environment, I I think I internalized shame so much that it felt like I deserved it. Like, of course I have shame. I couldn't even, if you were to tell me I was feeling shame, like pick it out, I would say like, yes, I'm supposed to. Mm. Um, And as I've done my own emotional health work, as I've expanded my view of God and my higher power and all that, I've started to pull that out. But I feel like in my my most tender moments, I so quickly go back to that of like, oh, I deserve this, of course. And I feel like we heard a definition in one of, in working at Onsite, I hear lots of things, but one of it was, I always heard about grace being, you know, the opposite of shame or the opposite of like forgiveness. And that's the anecdote. But grace is un deserved favor. And then just changing one word to unearned, like was a little bit of a release for me, because if you're constantly walking around with this posture of like, I don't deserve anything, Mm. of course you're going to walk in shame. But if it's actually like, oh, I didn't earn this and someone's loving me, even though I didn't earn it, that feels so much more permission giving and so much bigger. And I can then love myself in a better way because I'm, my posture is not as undeserving. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I think that was a big misconception. It's just the like internalizing and the almost like deserving of the shame that mm-hmm. I was carrying. Yeah. I do okay. think um, like one of the gifts of doing like the kind of work that we do at Onsite yeah. or seeing a therapist or d- digging into your emotional health, one of the gifts of that for me has been really sort of turning the lights on mm-hmm. inside. I think I am an internal processor. And so like, there's like a lot of things that are happening inside and under the surface mm-hmm. and the ability for me to begin to bring things to light, begin to put words to them, begin to say the unsaid is sort of diminishes shame yeah. naturally. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are challenges, you know, like yeah. I have described kind of the work that we do is kind of like turning on the lights in a dusty old attic that's filled with boxes full of memories and junk and all the things, and you kind of have to begin to root through it. And when you turn on the lights, you realize everything that's up there. Mm -hmm. But before the lights are on, you're like living in the unknown, Mm -hmm. and it has so much more power. Yeah. And that darkness can be like perpetuating Mm -hmm. and you don't know how to make progress against it until you turn the lights on. Yeah. And so I think that for me coming to onsite five Mm -hmm. years ago and doing the living center program was like the first step of turning the lights on. Yeah. And it really has shifted how I think about shame. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like it's this thing I have to live with. It feels like it is, Honestly, like something I used to live with. Mm, that's good. Wow. Like anxiety is still very present, but shame <laughs> yeah. feels really different these days. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. I I think I resonate with so much of that, but especially you talking about the internal processing. You three know know me enough to know yeah. I live in my head. Like everything happens internally. And I think that caused me for so long to have a really complicated relationship with just my emotions in general. Yeah. Um 
I was always internally processing and never gave high value to emotions, mm. you know, whether by nature or nurture. I was just like, eh, it's a, it's an add-on. It's a thing that we just have to sort of like get through to get to something else that's, that's better. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> but part of that journey in uncovering that complicated relationship with emotion in general is Uh, or has been discovering that complicated relationship with shame. And part of the thing that I think has been a reframe for me, like a misconception I had was it's quite the opposite of the, it's just me or I'm Mm -hmm, in this alone. Somehow shame in that isolation made me feel like everybody was believing those very same things. Mm. Like everyone thought about, like thought about you the way that you're thinking about you. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it was almost like confirming whatever you might suspect about yourself. And, um, and the more that I've sort of, you know, a lonely place to be. It is. I I mean, it's a, I think it's a, the, a different side of the yeah, same totally. coin. It's yeah. isolation, but it's it's like, hey, confirming, yeah, all those things that you thought, it's that's true. Everybody thinks about those things too. They're all thinking those things about mm-hmm. you. I was mentioning earlier, most of the shame that I think I can really ex- uh, call back to you in terms of my experiences with it that feel uh, real and visceral um, are around my body. Mm. And in a different season of life, one of uh, what well, my job was, to be in front of people. Like I had to do that a lot. And so the way that I looked was under scrutiny a lot. And it, and it had always kind of been that way too, from the time I was in elementary, middle school, high school, Um, my weight was always in conversation Mm. with everyone and everyone felt like they had. They could comment on your (laughs) body. Yeah, like totally. And so then when I would try to get things, you know, in order or do like work really, really hard and try to uh, figure out, what was going wrong or could, could I make this better? Could I exercise this way? Um, it's like, make sure that people see you eating these things and not mm. eating these things or make sure that they see you working this way and not taking time off because it's just writing into that narrative that you're not doing this right or you're lazy. Mm. or So it was always too, like the way I was showing up was wrong in the world. Mm. And then when I started feeling a little more confident about myself, Comments would be made then too, like, I need you to put on something different. Or so it was like, no matter how I showed up in my body, my body was wrong. Mm -hmm. My body was dangerous. And anytime that feeling came up and someone made a comment like that, it was that, oh, it's confirmed. Everyone looking at me right now, it doesn't matter that I was feeling okay about myself. Everyone is having these feelings like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be wearing Mm -hmm. that. You should have shown up differently or you're, yeah. So that's kind of my relationship with shame, but also understanding now after doing some work and sort of integrating some of that stuff mm-hmm. and understanding where it came from that absolutely not. That was part of the isolation. It yeah. wasn't this universal thought process that everyone had. That was really just the thing in my head. Mm-hmm. And to Lindsay's point, being able to bring that to light and actually talk about it yeah. with other people is the only way to actually know, right. in fact, that's not the truth, you know? Yeah. Right. And how many women struggle with body image. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because it feels like. And men. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's more out there, more prevalent than not. And because we do keep those things internal. Internalized. One of the things that I appreciated about uh, what we got from Jeremy, our Mm -hmm. coworker, um, was just him talking about how sometimes it's even a struggle for us to know that like the idea that shame is universal and we all carry it. Yeah. That might be surprising for some people to know that some folks don't even really understand that there's 
that there's shame lurking. Yeah. Um, but I, I when when I heard that, I was like, I resonate with that because I have had such a complicated relationship with my emotions in general. Mm-hmm. To understand that shame is actually there and is affecting me, and I'm not giving it the space to even look at. Mm. And so I don't know how to name that, you know. But that that it can actually show up in a in a lot of ways. I totally related to that in ways then. I think shame can be hard to identify, not just in terms of exactly what shame we carry, but that we even have it at all. You know, when it's not steering the ship, it can kind of blend in among the rest of our internalized personality traits or thoughts or beliefs, behaviors, things like that. Um, And I think that's why it can be surprising for some of us to hear that everyone carries some shame. We've all received messages growing up that have embedded within us some degree of shame, whether those messages came from family or friends, maybe teachers, peers, bosses, or even just society at large. There are lots of, you know, societal norms out there that we're expected to adhere to, and if we don't, then, you know, we kind of internalize this shame. And there might not even be malice or cruel intentions behind the messages that we're receiving, but the way in which we receive those messages shapes our shame. But like I said, it can be really hard to identify exactly what it is. And I think, you know, if if I look hard enough, I'm sure I can find some shame lurking in many corners. And for anyone out there who is struggling with finding that balance, I hope that one day they do. I hope they're able to identify and understand their shame and that they're able to make peace with it. I know that it's harder for some than others because shame can become quite severe. So I just want them to know that while their shame may say that they don't deserve peace, they most definitely do deserve it. Yeah, I think there is like a hard line being an internal processor. I'm as well. I don't think a lot of people would know that because I talk a lot. But (laughs) how I'm processing is internal. And I think there... I think sometimes we think we're saying something out loud because we're saying it to ourselves, but I think until we can name it, <laughs> yeah. like, and I think uh, so much of the anecdote to shame is in community, like being able to say something out loud yeah. to somebody. And I think that's such a beautiful part of doing like what we do here on campus in our programs is we, um, I think for most people, one of the biggest gifts is walking away with more self-compassion mm-hmm. and empathy towards yourself because mm-hmm. we all have these narratives conscious or unconscious that we're carrying around about ourselves and we often don't even think about them because they're just so ingrained in how we see the world. Um, But something so beautiful about the group process is you kind of have to say those things out loud and Mm -hmm. even things that feel so normal to us, all of a sudden people are like, whoa, you you feel that? Like, let me speak truth to it. And I think that's how we begin to heal. Um, But it takes us going first to say like, I'm willing to name it and now we have to reframe it. Will you Mm -hmm. help me reframe it? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you just said that too, the way you did. This mm-hmm. feels like a, hey, you're teeing up for this teaser. <laughs> I, we didn't plan it, but um, we are, we're releasing this new shame class yeah. um, called The Shame Reframe with Carlos. And one of the things that he says in it, which I just loved so much when we were capturing it, when he said, like, when, when you can name it, naming it helps you contain it. Mm. And I thought that was such a really helpful way of looking at it. it. It's not just about naming it and bringing it to light, but it's also about that's when you can draw the boundaries around it. And sometimes it's actually smaller than it feels. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But being able to name it helps you contain it. I thought that was great. I, I think it. naming things kind of give us accountability even within ourselves, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm going through an experience right now where mm. I am— 
I don't feel shameful about something I'm going through right now, but an old version of me would. Mm, And so I kind of always have to check myself of like, even though my narratives have changed, my experience within myself has changed, sometimes my body forgets that Mm -hmm. and it's still stuck in a past version of me. And so when we name something out loud to say, I am this way, or I don't feel shame about this, I feel proud of this, Mm -hmm. it almost serves as an accountability or a checkpoint to say like, okay, shame, this is not a current shame experience. This is an old shame narrative. Mm. And I don't have room for that anymore, you know? So I think it brings accountability to with even within ourselves. That's Mm. really, really good. That's really good. Interesting. And I feel like for me, shame is a very visceral feeling Mm -hmm. that I have only probably within the last five to six years started to name Mm. because it's a really embodied experience for me. I feel Mm. it in my stomach. I feel it my somehow I feel like I don't weigh enough and I'm so heavy. Wow. Like I, I can't be grounded, but I'm so heavy that like I just am walking around with a heavy backpack. And so even this conversation is a really embodied thing. I'm feeling a lot of it. Stories are coming up in my head. I'm remembering and really resonating with like, oh, Candy, I remember a time when someone made a lot of comments about the clothing I was wearing mm. and this felt really shameful. Or I remember a time when my views and ideologies had changed and I felt really good about something <laughs> and shared it with someone and they weren't safe because mm. they weren't in line with that and I felt a lot of shame. So I think it's a really interesting conversation as we have this about how even just talking about some of these things can show up in our bodies and we have to have the language to name it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we have to be willing uh, to name it. I remember it. when I did my Living Center program, Carlos was talking about shame and mm. um, he kind of talked about how we we need our bodies to agree with our thoughts around shame, Mm -hmm. um, where he was like, you know, so often we're taught to get small when we Mm -hmm. feel shame. We're taught to hide. We're taught to cover up. And we think about that just like metaphorically or emotionally, but literally we do that too. When we cry, we usually cover our faces. When we feel shame, we usually isolate or our bodies get smaller. And he was really talking about like, hey, when you cry this week, sit on your hands. Like don't Mm. allow yourself to cover yourself up. And that's been a really big game changer for me because I think I thought like crying is wrong or I'm weak. Like Mm. I think we... I grew up with a big narrative that like showing emotion was weak and so don't cry. yeah don't yeah. cry um, I was like made fun of a lot in my family of like oh you're such a crier so I learned to shut it off you know yeah. and so I think like the way we agree with our bodies like we have because shame is an emotion and emotions are stored in our bodies we can't just just rewrite like just tell ourselves some positive things about the shame we kind of have to agree with it in, mm. in body and in motion which mm. is really in- interesting to me that's fascinating so practically you're sitting on your hands or like even in this, I was catching myself like I had my hands like wrapped around my body. It's also and I was like, like oh, let me open up. degrees. So <laughs> it's also freezing in here. Um, but I was like, okay, how do you open your body so that? Yeah. I think, I think even just like, yeah, moving your body. I yeah. had a conversation that I knew was going to bring up a lot of shame recently. So I was like, I'm going to go on a walk while I have this conversation mm-hmm. because I need to agree that like yeah. I, I've changed. Like, my body can change. Or if you're having a hard conversation with someone, like, opening up your shoulders, planting your feet on the ground. Like, knowing that you're allowed to take up space, your emotions are allowed Mm -hmm. to take up space, I think that's really important. I love, um, there's research and there's a TED Talk about, like, creating confidence and how, if you can hold your arms up for two minutes before a job interview, like, you actually have better results, you know, more likely, Mm -hmm. more success. Uh, And there's, like, power poses. It's, like, the, the science behind power posing. I was just thinking about that, like, yeah. now power posing hands up or hands on my hips or mm. bring our bodies into that. So 
Yeah, I think it's an invitation to lightness. I think so many people, even in our staff that we've asked to mm-hmm. contribute to this podcast, so many people talked about shame feeling so heavy. Yes. Mm. I know Christine mentioned, like, felt, it feels like a weighted blanket that you also pour concrete on top of. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, like, how do we, yeah, like, even, Lindsay, you're talking about the darkness. We like to stumble mm. around the darkness, and the darkness can feel heavy. But when we actually have the light, like, both physical lightness, like, exposure, and also literal lightness of feeling lighter when we aren't letting shame completely drown us like what else is possible on the other side of that Mm. I loved Christine's thoughts on on shame and I think we should play them now shame is a visceral disconnection a disconnection from myself a disconnection from others a disconnection from anything that I could otherwise be calling a source or resource My twin sister conceptualized it as a big, weighted, heavy blanket, maybe even with concrete poured on it if we tend to get stuck in the lies that I get in the moments of shame. It's as if all the weight of, oh, I did something wrong turns into I am something wrong. And then if covered by a blanket, the suffocating air in that place is just I am awful, terrible, wrong, how could I, how dare I, shame on me, and it becomes shame within me. So, shame. I've possibly been spending too much time in a southern kitchen, but I conceptualize it as a grease fire. Comes out of nowhere, flames licking, bursting into the air, and any attempt to put it out with things like water, normally great in a fire situation in the case of grease fire that only exacerbates it infuriates the flames and makes them lick higher into the air taking up space beginning to ignite the curtains all around me and if left unattended could even burn down my entire house in this analogy the kitchen is the heart the operating heart of me it's where all the good cooking of thoughts and feelings and beliefs begin to be held and as i stir in those with a big old dose of shame then all of a sudden that's what explodes and then it can left unintended burn everything around it burn relationships around me burn into me And as I put shame on me, it's layers and layers of eating into my core, into my skin. And antidote is tell the truth and tell the truth of how that shame feels and let the truth become the light. If shame is a black hole that light can't survive a black hole, then it feels like I can collapse inward. Then speaking about shame can bring me to the light the light reflected by other people, the light of something bigger than me shining down with grace, and also the light of my own insight, that there is something other than the lies that I've been shrouding myself in. And that's where the healing comes in. Hey friends, all throughout this episode, we talk about that all too familiar spirally feeling, that pit in your stomach, the one that brings a shortness of breath, Shame, that feeling that you can describe how it feels but not always describe what it is. I hope what you take away from this episode is that shame is a universal part of the human condition. It's something we all experience. 
Even if we can't put it into words, we know how it can take over and how weighty it feels. And when shame takes over, it comes at a high cost. If you relate to what we've been talking about and you want to learn how to identify and reconcile shame's messages and form a new relationship with it, I want to invite you to check out our newest emotional health masterclass, The Shame Reframe. We've mentioned it a few times throughout this interview and we'll probably talk about it again, but it's on sale now and you can save 35% off through October 2nd when you use the code podcast at the checkout. So be sure to check it out today at onsiteworkshops.com slash shame. Y'all, let's go on a journey together to reframe shame. Now, back to the interview. Do you guys think that sometimes shame, we feel like it's more comfortable? Yeah. Because I think sometimes it's pretty brave to change your narrative or your view on things or whatever. And so I think sometimes we stay in shame. Even like I think about my weighted blanket and I'm like, oh, that kind of sounds nice. Mm -hmm. Like it sounds, it's familiar. It's kind of it feels safe. Yeah. Um, and so I think even going off of that metaphor, like sometimes it's it's hard to do the uncomfortable because it is all vulnerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I think I sometimes carry around the belief. It's like if I can bully myself first, nobody else can do it, you know? Yes. So yeah. it's like if I believe this about me, even what you were saying, Candy, I totally get the same side of that coin. It's like, oh, that is just reinforcing. Like I knew it. They already believed mm-hmm. that. Or mm-hmm. I knew I was messing up or I knew I wasn't good enough. Yeah. And so I think sometimes shame can feel – we think it's more comfortable. Do you guys feel that way? Or that Absolutely. it's like honorable, like that you're mm. um, like holding. Well, I think some of my experience with shame in the past has been around um, helping protect other people. Yeah. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, my family, yeah. my colleagues, business partners that sort of vocalizing my experience. Um, Mm -hmm. and sort of the things that were coming up for me would somehow be a betrayal Mm. of those relationships. And so I do think that, I don't know if this is like true of everybody, but I feel like it's like once I started to like make progress in it, it all started to like right size in a Mm. different way Mm -hmm. where prior to that, it felt like definitely like, why would you delve into that? You yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> like, leave, let's don't, leave, let's don't leave everything where it is. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, and Carlos talks about this some yeah. in the class, too, that sometimes it's not time to pull on it. Like, sometimes mm. it is comfortable for a reason. Yeah. Like, that's good. And, and that it has almost been protective in some ways. Yeah. Like, that's why the weighted blanket does feel comfortable sometimes, you mm-hmm. know? And it's yeah. and everybody's stories are different. But I do think there's something to that. Even, un, like, thinking about power poses or mm-hmm. where we feel it in our bodies and needing our bodies to agree with the things we're saying is, like, there's so much invitation and consent even mm-hmm. within ourselves that yeah. we have to sort of facilitate. And sometimes we can't just say, okay, go away. Okay, feel mm-hmm. this way. It's like, no, it's a little more invitational. You know, mm-hmm. we have to yeah. kind of take the baby steps. Uh, but speaking of being comfortable, I think one of the things that shame often tells a lot of us, and Andrew um, on our team shared a little bit about how shame feels and looks like isolation. And isolation feels a lot more comfortable, especially when your life experiences mm. with other people have brought you shame, have brought you pain, have brought you trauma. And so it is safer and more comfortable. And, you know, it's it's the work to lean into connection when connection has been the place that has hurt you the most. Yeah. And I feel that a lot of, you know, maybe I went to someone because I know the anecdote of shame is connection and I didn't get that connection. I actually got more hurt or more shame or someone like, 
reiterated what I already thought about myself. And so, yeah, it's more comfortable to just sit in this and believe this yeah, um, and sit in the isolation. But I love how Andrew describes shame and kind of, this is a really beautiful picture of that. For me, shame feels like a prison. It looks like isolation, but it feels like a prison. I describe shame as this feeling that something is wrong with me. The narratives that shame tries to tell me is that I'm broken, I am not repairable, and that there's something innately wrong with me that would prevent other people from entering into a relationship with me, accepting me. My hope for someone who feels trapped by shame is to know that shame is ultimately a liar, that everything shame does comes against us to defeat us, and that truth and knowing our own systems, our own story, doing our own work is what sets us free from that shame. I really appreciated Amelia's contribution. Yeah. I felt like if you know Amelia in real life, she's one of our business development directors. She's been around on site forever and she's like a boss. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. like yes. she like exudes so much presence and her vulnerability and the softness with which she spoke about like how she experiences shame was just I thought it was, like, so eloquent, and, like, I loved how she put words to shame that I think we all can relate to. Some of the narratives that shame tries to tell me is that um, I'm bad, my decisions are wrong, and that I don't know what is true or not true. Um, Shame can make me feel like I'm not good enough and that my truth doesn't matter. I think that's such an invitation for us to remember that, like, everyone experiences yeah. it. Because yeah. I think sometimes with people, like, like, so strong, like, such a presence, you think, like, oh, they don't feel that, too. It, we, like, kind of make up what we think shame looks like or anxiety looks like or depression looks like or any of those things. And it's like it, we can't escape life. We're human. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that's a good invitation for us. Spoken from Hannah, who's also a boss. Yeah, she's also <laughs> a boss. 100%. And also back. feels a lot of shame and a lot of insecurity, <laughs> you know? And yeah. I think sometimes people write that off, you know? Or we write it off for ourselves, let's be honest. Like yes. I say, like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way, you know? You should on yourself. Yeah, we, we use a lot of shitting language. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite things to say. Don't shit Don't on yourself. Don't shit on yourself. Um, and I think it's the, it's the quiet whispers, too. I think shame is really deceitful. And how it, like, can scream or it can yell depending on how it needs to get you. You yeah. know, sometimes it's so obvious. And then sometimes it's just, like, quiet enough that it gets you. And Keith, one of our team members, alluded to that in his. But I thought it was just so beautiful, this description of, like, it's both a whisper and a scream. And it tells me all these things. And so I also love that he didn't leave it at just, like, this really heavy what shame feels like. He left it with a piece of encouragement. And it was just that people would find community, that they would um, trust that they will speak the truth of their beauty and worth to them. Like they would find places where people would speak worth to them. Shame feels for me like wilting, sort of like a flower exposed to overwhelming heat, and it can do nothing but shrink. I would describe shame as a feeling of humiliation as a result of my behavior, intentional or not that I think could be perceived by someone as having done something dishonorable or hurtful to them. Shame both whispers and screams at me. It tells me that no matter how hard I try, I'm stupid, worthless, a useless human. 
My hope for someone who feels trapped in shame is that they will experience a person or community they trust um, that will speak the truth of their beauty and worth to them. I'd love for you guys to like maybe share a moment when someone has spoke to you the opposite of what you believe about yourself and and kind of how that coupled with a lot of the things that we're doing we've been talking about to counteract shame. I think of a very visceral experience in my life when I carried around a burden for, or I carried around this lie for a long time that I was just a burden in relationships, that people didn't want me around, that I was kind of annoying. Annoying is a narrative that I've taken a long time. Mm -hmm. I took a long time. And I remember sitting in a group setting with some friends and we were talking about something and I got quiet or I made some like offhanded comment about myself and my friend stopped the conversation and yelled at the top of her lungs, you are not a burden. And I mean, and that was almost 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I remember it. I feel it viscerally in my body. And it was someone who was stepping out to say like, let me, if you're going to say this about yourself, I'm going to like be so loud and above it and even obnoxious. (laughs) And use a word that you feel about yourself, obnoxious, to tell you that's not true. Mm. Wow. So that was one of the things I was thinking that I wanted to share Interesting. In this conversation. What? The thing that came to mind was also 15 years ago for me. I remember the first time that I felt like, going back to the the body uh, issues Mm -hmm. that I feel like I'd carried for so long, was living in LA and my partner and I, Jonathan, were trying to, were thinking about like trying to start a family and get pregnant. And I just was having a really difficult time figuring that out along with a bunch oh. of other things. And I had kind of sworn off doctors because every doctor I'd ever seen up to that point, for the most part, around my body told me flat out, I had doctors and personal trainers that I was lying about mm. what I was eating or how I was, you know, exercising or like basically just told me that's not true because if you were, then you would look like this or you would yeah. be doing these things. So you, you're lying to me. Mm. So I just had a lot of shame around it and also didn't trust doctors. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was like, I, I kind of have done what I can do um, as this researcher person that I am, and I still need help. So mm. I'm so I found a doctor, went to see him, and just kind of gave him a rundown of, you know, my history and what I what I was trying to do here. And he looked at me. And after kind of getting my whole story and then asking me questions that other doctors hadn't asked where he was listening, he was mm. being curious, and ran some blood panels and did stuff, he said, I cannot <laughs> believe how much work you've put in and where, like, how you have managed to even just show up the way that you're showing up now. Mm. Like, the things that you have been dealing with that I can actually tell you now what they are. Like, it's amazing to me that you have tried so hard, that you have, you know, shown up this way. It was the first time someone saw me and made me feel like I'm okay in my body just the way that I am. Like, I don't have to change anything. And what was so fascinating, I think, is I had been carrying so much shame and stress about that in my body that was making it difficult for me Mm -hmm. to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And honestly, because he created that safety and Mm -hmm. that, like, seeing me where I was, literally within a month, I was pregnant. Mm. I think because I just, I felt like, okay, I could... I could stop trying so hard to just be me. My body's not broken. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Yeah, that was, I think, the first Mm -hmm. thing that shifted the narrative for me. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Beautiful. 
I think what comes to mind for me is I think I grew up very much under the assumption that I was valuable because I was strong. Mm. And I carried that into my early working and still carry a lot of that today in my working life and tried mm-hmm. to dismantle a lot of that. Um, but I think for me, a memory that sticks out was um, a couple of years ago, a good friend of mine is an author and she was writing a book and in the back of the book in the dedication to me she wrote to the softest person I know Mm. and it like was so impactful to me that Mm. I was valuable for being soft Mm. and valuable for having big feelings and that I was allowed that I still got to be strong I still got to show up and I worked for her and so she saw that strong side Mm. of me too but she really called out uh, the really beautiful softness in me and I think since then it's been an invitation to be both and I think Mm. I think that's a, as we rewrite narratives, I think sometimes we think we have to flip to the exact opposite. And Mm -hmm. sometimes there is some duality of what we can learn from what our shame or our narratives teach us and how we don't have to flee from everything or flip to extremes. But that both can exist, that duality can exist, and we get to change our narrative. And if it's not working five years from now, we get to change it again. Mm. And so um, for me, that was a really big shift when someone else saw that in me. Mm, That's beautiful, Mm. yeah. Yeah, the memory that came to mind when you asked the question, Mackenzie, it's a great question, was I, like, really struggled as a kid with how to express my anger. Mm. Um, and it's funny, you know, like, as an adult, I, like, still struggle with it. Yeah. But I, it was, like, an overexpression, really, in childhood. And oh. now mm. I underexpress probably anger. But in childhood, like, I remember, like, there was a night where I, like, threw a temper tantrum and, like, ran upstairs. I had told my parents I hated them and, you know, in a moment of child rage, like you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then was just, like, you all can, like, remember when you've, like, thrown a temper tantrum and you're up in your room and you're like, oh, my gosh, do I now have to stay here forever? Right. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know how I you get out. regret. Yeah. I like, chose this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you get out of this. And um, some of my parents' friends actually came one of my parents' good friends came up to my bedroom and they were crying. Mm. And they said, um, so funny. I didn't mm. realize I'd have emotions telling the story. But they just said, your parents love you so much. Mm. And mm. like for them to come up and for my words to affect them that way. Mm. And instead of like reprimanding me to like tell me how much I was loved was like really powerful. Wow. Mm. And I think it's like really changed how I interact with my friends' kids Mm. because it's like we have such an opportunity Mm. to like be those voices in ways that our parents don't, you know, Mm. Mm -hmm. that it just really struck me. Mm. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. What I kept hearing um, in all the stories is like, someone taking a moment to actually see you and mm-hmm. value you. And it's it was when we were expecting one thing and got another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. That counteracts shame. Wow. That's so good. Mm. Y'all, thank you so much for being so vulnerable um, and leaning into this space with us. This is such an important topic. And there's a reason that we created the shame reframe mm-hmm. because I think it's so much, despite having so much information, we still don't know how to embody this Yeah, and live it out. And so I'm just really encouraged by the way the three of you are showing up in the world. Yeah. Thanks, Mick. And I think there's some excerpts of Carlos's laugh throughout the Shame Reframe, which yeah, is always a, <laughs> Which we all need. <laughs> which is always a seller. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. 
Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.